Yeah, you may, and I assume you're going to start with number 10 and move down to number 1. So gauge your time so that we don't end up at the end of the program with, without number 1, because you know what that means. It means you have to come back another night and, and, uh, and fill in. But anyway, I'm just pulling your leg there. But yes, why don't we, why don't we uh, take a start at it, and uh, we'll have a break coming up here in about five minutes, and we'll take it then. But we'll just move, move them down here for the next radio hour. Okay, Tom, you're going to sort of hate me on number nine, and I'll explain when I get there. But at number 10, I ranked the show Frazier. And here's my reason, Tom. Frazier was on for 11 years. Uh, it's extremely well cast and written. Kelsey Grammer, David Hyde Pierce, Jane Lee, Perry Gilpin, John Mahoney. It won 37 Emmys during its 11-year run. It's nominated for 108. Um, five times the show won for Most Outstanding Comedy Series. It was an NBC staple for 11 years, as I said. Very funny and entertaining. The Niles and Daphne love affair were uh, was part of the key of the later seasons when maybe Kelsey Grammer and his Frasier character took a step back. Tom, at number nine, here's the one you're going to have problems with me on, Sanford and Son. Uh, Sanford and Son was the best sitcom of its type that translates well into the present day. It was the perfect vehicle, Tom, I believe, for Red Fox and Damon Wilson. Fred Sanford was essentially an iconic figure of the 70s. It was a great opportunity for Mr. Fox and his old stand-up and comedy friends to take a bow on television. Among those was Wanda Page, Tom, who was a standout as Ann Esther. It was a great vehicle for African-American performers from the golden age of Hollywood, such as Lena Horne, and also of the 70s. Uh, had a number of uh, Amer African-American actors, very well written, produced by Norman Lear, who could do no wrong in the 70s, Tom, and pretty much still can today. And, Tom, this is a show that's still funny as we sit here in 2021. The Big Money Grip episode is still one of the funniest things I've seen on television, and I bet you might have a comment to that. No, well, well I believe you, and I'm, I'm like you. It's one... So many of the shows that were on then, in fact, the one that was probably thought of as the, the top show, in, if I may say the name of it, which was uh, All in the Family, uh, doesn't, it was great at its time, but it doesn't hold up well. And I think you're right that uh, Sanford and Son holds up about as well as any show that you might try to translate from the 70s till the present day. Yeah, just uh, one of my favorites, but I think there are uh, black and white uh, reasons. Uh, for, uh, no puns intended there, but uh, for, for why this show was one of the top shows. Uh, uh, you know, it is uh, a show that um, is, it's, it's still one that when it comes on, I have a moment where I want to watch it. And if I can ever determine if, if it's the Big Money Grip episode, and folks, I simply can't explain what went on in that show. Maybe we will at some point. I think we've talked about it in the past. I then try, try to watch it, Tom. Tom, at number eight, the show Friends. Friends is the best sitcom of the 90s. It spoke to and personified a whole generation. James L. Brooks, who directed a lot of first episodes of the various shows that I'm talking about, he directed the early episodes. It, again, is well cast. The cast became icons. Tom, I know you don't like that term, icons, but if you're ever going to use it, now's the time. They recently had an HBO reunion, highly anticipated by a number of people. Each star went on to do TVs or movies. The highest profile of the six main characters was Jennifer Aniston and 
Tom Hunter the, the waitress who became the rage of the early to mid-90s. There are a lot of important guest stars, including four Oscar winners that guested on the show Friends. Among those are Gary Oldman, Bruce Willis, Marlon Thomas, Elliot Gould, Sue Susan Sarandon, Elle McPherson, Winona Ryder, Brad Pitt, Reese Witherspoon, Sean Penn, Brooke Shields, and John Conrad Dam, among others. So, Tom, the number eight show is probably the best sitcom of the 90s now. Started in the 90s, ended about 2003, 2004. It's the show Friends. And I might, but uh, you, 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 you've cited the fact that I think the word iconic is overused today. Not everybody who's really great is an icon, but the the, the figures uh, uh, of uh, characters on Friends approach being iconic, so I'll let you get away with that. And also, I will say to you, can we stop right now and take a little break? We can stop we right back? now, Tom. I was thinking it was time for a break. Okay, and uh, Stephen Kearney is our guest tonight. He's a, uh, a student of in the entertainment world. That's not his real-life job, but he, he spends a lot of time on it and has, has always enjoyed it and been one of our best guests along those lines. And we're talking about the, the, the best sitcoms, situation comedies of all time, and we just got to number eight, uh, and it was Friends. We don't know what number seven is, but we'll find out right after this. 921 is the time at WCTF, the Tom Kearney Show, for it's uh, Tuesday night. It's June 22nd, and our guest tonight is my brother Stephen. He and I have spent many, many hours, one place or another, discussing television and TV trivia and so on. It's not. It's always good to take a, a drive with him, so because we don't even have to turn the radio on. But tonight he's sharing some of his information with us and his observations regarding the best sitcom situation comedies on television of all time. And he was going to do ten through one, and he's done three of those, I think. And so we're down to number seven. So we won't waste any more time, Stephen. Number seven. Number seven, Tom. You, you do want to go where everybody knows your name. I'm convinced of that in America, at least. And in, in the 80s to the 90s, it was the show Cheers. Uh, Ted Danson, Shelley Long, George Wentz, uh, Rhea Perlman, John Rastenberger, Woody Harrelson, Tom, Nicholas Colasanto, Kirstie Alley, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer played the same character on Cheers that he did on Frasier, the character Frasier. And by the way, there's a record associated with that, but we won't talk about that tonight. It's probably the best show Tom ever centered in a bar. I can't think of another one that would be any better than Cheers. Can you think of one? No, I can, and I think I actually think it's one of the best shows ever on television because of the 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 ensemble cast. Everybody on there could, could carry it, and I particularly love George Wynn and uh, oh uh, Cliff Clavin, the guy that played Cliff Clavin, John, John Ratzenberger. John Ratzenberger, and and uh, uh, anyway, uh, they, they they stick in my memory. And well, Tom, uh, this show, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, this show is the best example, Tom, of now. Listen, as I said, this quote the Sam and Diane storyline. Well, of course, this is Sam and Diane. It all sort of starts here. It may have been on other shows, Tom, but the uh, the best example of uh, will they or won't they is right here, and it kind of starts with this, and it went through the first five years, and they had to figure out what to do with it, and they, what they ended up doing is breaking them up. They eventually do get back together at some point, and you have to watch the show, uh, but uh, it doesn't last, if you know what I mean. Um, 
this, uh, again, was the best sitcom of the 80s, Tom. It helped save the National Broadcasting Company, NBC, gave rise to Frasier, James L. Brooks, direct various episodes. Again, extremely well written. And the last show, Tom, was one of the most watched shows, single episodes of all time. And they had a lot of uh, guests, uh, important guests. I mean, they they took their existence in the city of Boston seriously. And uh, I was thinking Wade Boggs, who played baseball for the for the Boston Red Sox, and etc. A lot of uh, sports figures. Kevin McHale was on there, who was a key player for the Boston Celtics. Uh, other important people, Tom Tip O'Neill, who was time I believe was the speaker of the house. Yes, as a matter of fact, that's exactly right. And so, Tom, this cheers the number seven. So number seven. Number of seven. our top ten. Okay, or is there a number six? Well, number six is a sort of personal favorite of yours and mine, but we have to go back to the six to see it. So, there we hear those, Tom. Uh, this is a rural comedy. You're probably surprised that it's ranked so high, but I think there's a reason for it. Uh, probably the first or one of the first rural comedies, we'll, we'll deal with the very first one a little bit later, is part of CBS television's rural block of the 60s. Now, television in the 1960s time was, was uh, about a lot of uh, escapism, kind of surrealistic escape from what we were presented with with reality. You know, we had the Vietnam War, we had uh, uh, poverty, we had racial strife. We had uh, riots on the campus and in the streets. But uh, once a week, you visit our folks who had a cement pond, Tom. Um, it's extremely was extremely popular in the 1960s. The Beverly Hillbillies was. It, has, it takes a comedic look, I think, Tom, in six issues. 007, movie star, lead Nick, Flower Children, Homestead, Children, well, Tom, in this show. Uh, that was uh, essentially uh, taking on the 60s. Um, the, the theme of most 60s sitcoms, Gilligan's and Darla, Agri, Jimmy, The Witch, was diversion, surreal but funny. Uh, you pointed out, Tom, that Jeffrey Hillbillies provides us with a juxtaposition of language differences, and it's very well handled. It made stars out of the principal cast, Buddy Epson, who was already a star, uh, Max Thayer, Donna Douglas, and I read Ryan as Granny became a cultural uh, figure. You could see posters of her saves on it. Tom, this show was rerun a great deal in the 70s and 80s. One episode, Tom, a regular broadcast episode, was one of the top ten must-watch shows for a number of years. I think it's the title of the show was Granny and the Kangaroo. There were a few episodes in a while that were so popular. Yeah, I can remember Beverly Hillbillies did hold the record. It may still for a single scheduled episode. There were a lot of special episodes, that, that, uh, but it was just a regular episode. The one that happened to be on that night had more viewers than than any other show uh, of that particular time or of that particular sort. So, uh, As you pointed out, it wasn't a special episode or wasn't the finale of a series, for instance, Seinfeld's right. finale or... Um, Cheers finale, as we've already noted, was one of the big uh, watch ones. This and they raced it in with a number. On, on Wednesday or Tuesday night that year. I think it was and they raced it in with a number of other shows like Petticoat Junction and Green Acres and so on. There was some trading of back and forth of uh, characters and so on. So it, well, and uh, you pointed out that uh, those are two shows that come from the Paul Hemming staple of 
part of the what I, again what we've designated as the rural sitcom uh, group of shows, and in sort of one fell swoop, Tom, in the early part of 1970, late '69, all their shows disappeared, and uh, they to take their place. And we're going to be talking about at least two of them. One of them up next that uh, changed the way television was watched into something new. Okay. Um, how, how close are we on our bottom of Okay, the we've got about a minute and a half before we have to take a break. If you want to start, I'll try to stop well, you in the right place and we'll really come back. I'm going to wait if I could, Tom, because we're going to do the last five in the last 30 minutes. Uh, but I do want uh, to um, employ everybody to check out Jethro Bovine. If you've never seen him as a rock star, uh, as a blue boy type person, uh, as a movie star named Bolt Upright. Um, there's a short order fire cook, a brain surgeon. These were his various occupations, Tom. And they've got some kind of new dollars on there, too, Granny says. They are called million dollars. Million dollars. I always thought it was interesting, Tom, from the beginning of the show until it ended to see how much uh, J.D. Clampett's worth increased each year. And the first one that I was able to note was about $20 million, And I think it was well over $100 million by the time it ended, about... Uh, 10 or 11 seasons later. And the, the theme song, which was a banjo hit, uh, and, they, and among people they had on there were Flathead Scruggs to uh, sing the words. Yeah, well, did, did I went to somebody, Tom, and said, let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. Well, it did a little bit for for uh, the image of bluegrass music, too, and, uh, and, and renewed interest in people like Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs. Stephen, we've, we have vamped our way right up to the time for the news now, so you have to come back with the rest of the, the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, right after we stop to check the news. On a Tuesday night, the Tom Kearney Show, every night, Monday through Friday from 9 to 10, a little bit of live and real-time radio, and we try to keep you up with what, what's going on. Uh, to, let's see if I can remember who, tomorrow night, oh, Mike James is going to be here. He's a pharmacist in Raleigh, and he appears periodically, and we talk about old-time remedies. Uh, uh, when I was really small, much long time before my brother was born, uh, the medicine cabinet at our house had a, a bottle of aspirin and a bottle of Vicks Vapor Rub, and uh, for a lot of rural North Carolinians, that was, that was probably it. There weren't a lot of the modern uh, uh, remedies. We had a lot of home remedies and so on, and that's one thing that Mike knows a lot about. He's been a pharmacist for a good while, and he's going to be with us tomorrow night. Lee Pace, who writes about golf, has a new book about walking on golf courses. It's a charming book, and I really enjoy reading it. He will be our guest on Thursday night. But tonight, Stephen Kearney is our guest, and we're talking about the top television sitcoms of all time as determined by himself and occasionally with a little kibitzing from me. Stephen, are you ready? What, what are we up to, number six or number five? Well, the number five, Tom, I want to take a moment and say that by the time I came along, some 15 years later, we added Mercurochrome and Methalate. And I always thought they healed everything I had. And uh, strangely, they have disappeared from the medicine cabinet. But I'm sure that's another story. Yes. That is another story, but we'll tell it some other night, okay? All right, Tom. Number five and I, uh, is the show All in the Family. 
Carol O'Connor, Gene Stapleton, Sally Struthers, Rob Reiner. Tom, this was the number one show on television for several years in the 70s. Really the first anchor show by Norman Lear, very well produced, extremely well written. It's highly topical, Tom, which sort of hurts it as you watch it today. It references key events of the 1970s, Richard Nixon, the war in Vietnam, women's rights, racial issues. The series, this series, Tom, unlike Sanford and Son, does not hold up well in the 21st century. When you watch it, you may find yourself wondering what the uh, social references are. Uh, Carol O'Connor, essentially such a good actor, became Archie Bunker, but of course in real life he was not anything like that. It's a groundbreaking show, Tom, for Norman Lear. Numerous shows follow it and try to copy what what you have with uh, All in the Family. It's based on a, uh, and you can help me here, Tom, on a British show. Uh, show yeah, and I cannot show. remember. Go ahead. I, think I can't it was recall. Called, uh, Man of the House or something like that. No, actually, yeah. that was Three's Company. Um, I'm not sure, Tom, but that's something that we can get our, our listeners to look up, give you something to do. When you're staring at your phone, right? But it, uh, it 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 sort of halfway spawned. Well, just think about. Let's think for just one second here. We won't waste a lot of time on this. But the spinoffs from it include the, the Jeffersons and right. Maude, right? Uh, and I, I'm not sure what other spinoffs there were. But both well, of those the Jeffersons. You had uh, Good Times. You had Good Times. Yeah, Maude spin, uh, spun off. Good times because Maude's maid was Florida. And, yeah, but uh, they the did, they tended to deal with social issues and uh, uh, and to to spend some time poking fun at them and so on. And of course, the highlight of for most people of the uh, uh, all in the family was when uh, uh, Archie, who was a certified racist, was kissed on the top of his head by Sammy Davis Jr. So. Right, uh, and again, it has an extremely long uh, moment of laughter when that happens. It's, it's well played out by both Sammy Davis and uh, Carol O'Connor. Uh, Archie does taxi driving during uh, his off hours, Tom, from the, uh, the factory where he works, and he happened to have been driving with Sammy Davis, and Sammy Davis left his briefcase and uh Archie's taxi, Tom, and Archie took it home, and Sammy came to his house uh, to pick it up, and, and there hangs the tail, Tom. And there were some issues uh, uh, we don't need to necessarily divert, because I, I want to make sure you have enough time to do your show, but uh, that when Edith uh, died, it was a very poignant right. group of uh, issues, and, and the relationship between Archie and the character that he called Meathead. And uh, there's right. an episode that has to do with something called shoe booty. If you remember that episode, it has to do with the way Archie was treated by his father, who who was abusive. And so, uh, that's was, not only you pointed out, Tom, that that was not only a funny show but a poignant one. Yeah, a serious show to it to deal with some serious issues. Okay, I'm out of your way. No, I'm, I'm actually I think I'm stepping on top of you, and I apologize. Tom, Rob Reiner played Meathead, which was Mike Stivick. Rob Reiner is the son of Carl Reiner, who created, was part of your show of shows, that's his Caesar, and created the Dick Van Dyke show. 
not in my top ten, Tom, but as an aside, the Dick Van Dyke show is probably the best representative of the way the 60s looked, if nothing else. And, you know, I didn't hear a lot of notice about it, but Dick Van Dyke was one of, I believe, one of the five uh, person celebrities, entertainers recognized by the, the uh, Kennedy Center this year. Usually there are five recognized each each December, and it was delayed a little bit because of the, the virus. But in any event, the, the recognition came about three weeks ago, and he was one of them. And he's 95 now, and he has not officially retired yet. No, and he but he goes on and does some really good stuff. He had a second Dick Van Dyke show, Tom, which was set in Arizona. He did uh, Diagnosis Murder. He was in the uh, movie um, Mary Poppins, among others. And uh, Tom, uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, an honor like the Kennedy Center, that's a very, very special one, I think. I think it is, too, because they're very selective. What's next, Steve? Our, our next show takes place in North Carolina, Tom. You want to guess what it is? Well, it's probably the Andy Griffith Show. It is the Andy Griffith Show. After I, I was thinking today, I was trying to come up with a tagline for the Andy Griffith Show, and if nothing else, Tom, it was a small show grown very, very big. Uh, Andy Griffith, Don Knotts, Ron Howard, Francis Bobby Gay, Howard McNear, Jim Moses, George Lindsay, Anita Crusoe, Betty Lynn. They're just the main people that populated uh, Mayberry. And Mayberry, Tom, is, uh, as depicted in the Andy Griffith Show, is one of the first instances we see where America kind of adopts and recognizes a fictional town almost like it was a real place. Uh, America got a chance to visit their favorite small town once a week to escape from the reality of their own city or town. And it became that to a lot of people. Uh, books are written about this, Tom, about the Mayberry aspect of, of life. You know, it's, it's a, a dream world. It's a, the ideal town. You know, it, there's an episode of the, the Andy Griffith show, you know, What's Your Hurry, which basically talks about itself. You know, it's such an idyllic place to be. Uh, there are other things that come from it, Tom. Uh, they're, they're just part of television lore. Uh, the bullet in the pocket, nip it in the bud. Uh, it's an early vehicle, Tom, for Andy Griffith's routines. It went out, stopped being on the air in the top ten, Tom. I think it was ranked number eight when it went out on, uh, off the air. Uh, and basically it was replaced by maybe RSD. The town drunk is harmless and is lovable. Opie and the Bird is a very famous episode. The corner room at the Y, Tom. Uh, Wally's service station. Barney and the Choir. Malcolm Merriweather. Barbara Eden is in this show, Betty Epson, Bernie Casey, Jesse White, Eleanor Donahue, Alan Melvin, Tom. Just oh, yeah. to name a few. That's our number four show, Tom, and it had to be at least that high, in my opinion. And he got chopped off. Uh, you talked earlier about the, the bucolic uh, shows that were retired when the Beverly Hillbillies was, and one of them was the uh, Andy Griffith Show, which was, as you said, in, in top form at that time. And it's given birth to a tourist attraction in Andy's hometown in Mount Erie, North Carolina. Mayberry Days is every September, I think the third week in September. But uh, you can go and uh, and uh, visit some of the haunts of Mayberry, except they're in Mount Erie at this point. But uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a movie time. I can't think of the title now. It's about an Irish town that only appears every so often. It'll come back to me after the show's off. But 
Uh, in a sense, you can find Mayberry if you look in the right place in North Carolina, but in a sense, it's the only, Mayberry only exists in your mind. Well, and sometimes that's just a, just a good place to do that. Let's take a break. I think you have three more, don't you? I have three more left, Tom. Okay, we're going to take a break, and after that, you, your job, your burden will be to get the three in the time we have left. We're talking about sitcoms, the golden age of sitcoms on television tonight. Stephen Kearney is our guest, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. been hiding under a rock for the last 50 years, you know that that's the theme song of a particular television show, and I have a feeling that it's probably number three on the list. We'll find out from Stephen Kearney, who is our guest tonight, the list being that of the outstanding sitcoms from his viewpoint, and, and I'll have to say that I agree with him with most of the stuff he's done, so I'll just add my check mark. Was I right, Stephen? Is MASH number three? Yes, our producer was kind enough to find that for me, and I thank him uh, for, for helping me out. Number three is Mass Tom, Alan Alda, Mike Farrell, Wayne Rogers, Loretta Swift, Gary Burgoff, McLean Stevenson, Harry Linville, Harry Morgan, among others. Tom, uh, you can't say enough about Mass. Uh, it was about Korea, but it really wasn't about Korea. It was about Vietnam, but it really was about war in general. It's also, in my opinion, I've told you this before, Four different shows, depending who's on it. The first three or four years when McLean Stevenson is on it with Larry Linville and Wayne Rogers, it's straight comedy and very, very funny. It's still comedic when Mike Farrell replaces Wayne Rogers and McLean Stevenson is, is um, eventually replaced by Harry Morgan, Tom, but uh, uh, it is a different kind of comedy. Uh, the third version of this, when David Ogden stars joins and, and uh, takes over for Ray Avenza, who left the program. It's comedy-drama, and then at the end time, it's more drama than it is comedy, and the soundtrack is gone. Uh, it's production writing is of the highest quality you ever want to see in television. It's uh, groundbreaking in, in terms of being a show about humanity and war. It's the uh, last show, Tom, the last series show that was shown, is in the, the uh, most watched a non-event show in TV history, non-event meaning that it's not the Super Bowl, Tom. Uh, it essentially controlled a person's activity on that day. You were going to go home and watch the mass finale. I'd say to you, Tom, there's not been a show like it since. Well, I, I remember in the late 80s, there was a time when you could see, uh, I remember on one day, you could see 12 different episodes on different channels in one day when they started really re rerunning the show. And uh, so... Uh, uh, that's just how popular it was, and it's still uh, on on some retro channel because I've seen an episode of it, and, and it it made stars of all those people, and it was so convincing that William Christopher, who played Father Mulcahy, people began to think think that he was an actual priest, and we still haven't gotten rid of the guy with the long nose. I can't think of his name right Jamie now. Jamie Farr. Number two, Tom, I Love Lucy. I, I would not be able to leave I Love Lucy off this list, and I would not be able to put it any place other than where it is. Uh, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, Busy and Vance, William Frawley. It's the first great sitcom, Tom. It's a pioneer in television. It, it brought on innovations, three-camera filming. It was shot on film, which means its quality remains 
present today. It had great longevity. It featured the greatest comedian of all time with uh, the Carol Burnett, uh, nod to Carol Burnett there, Tom. They had their own studio, Desert Dizzy Lou, which was bought out with Paramount. Nothing before it, Tom. Uh, it's been mimicked afterwards. Guest stars on this show were William Holden, Bob Hope, John Wayne, George Reed, a great societal influence, Tom. On the night she gave birth to the little Ricky, who I think actually was Lucy Arnaz, the daughter in real life. Tom, uh, this was the number one show, and everybody was watching it. About two-thirds of the sets in use were watching it. It made TV different, Tom, than it was before. It's different than Show of Shows and Milton Berle. And as I understand it, Tom, it was based on, but not was a, not a filmed version of a show that uh, she did on radio just uh, prior to it being on the air. It was something about her, her husband or something. And she was the star of the show. Dizzy Arnaz was not, not connected with that. I will tell you one thing that it did. We could ask a trivia question about, but we won't. We won't bother. It came on at nine o'clock on Monday night. Tom, I think I have just enough time to do the last show, the number one show. We can go back if we have any time left. But the number one show to me, and I think to you, and I told you a long time ago that I thought this was it, and the reasons for it is the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, Tom, to me is is, uh, is all things flowed toward it. It comes on in 1970, and CBS basically divulges itself of the rural comedies, and it's all modern television from that point on to deal with societal issues in a humorous way. Uh, you have Mary Tyler Moore, Ed Asner, Valerie Harper, Corus Leachman, Ted Knight, Gavin McLeod, Betty White, Georgia Engel, John Amos, Harold Gould, and Nancy Walker played Valerie Harper's parents. I think her mother was played by Nanette Fabray. Tom, this was presented Mary Tyler Moore as a single woman living alone, facing the issues of being a single woman facing, uh, living alone. Kind of took up the baton from that girl, Tom. She had no children. She was out in the world making making her own way in the world and doing fine at it. She was able to develop friendships, and uh, it showed dealt with things like birth control and positions of leadership of females. It's the first truly modern sitcom, intelligently written, cast, well, it has linear progression from beginning to end during the course of it. She actually receives her promotion. She actually changes where she lives from a, a charming Victorian house to an apartment. Tom, I would say to you that sitcoms were different before Mary Tyler Moore, and they were different afterwards. It's the, uh, the sea shed or whatever the term is, um, uh, show on television. Again, all things flow to it, uh, things flow away from it. Uh, James Wilkinson was involved with this. MTN Studios and Grant Tinker get their start here, and he goes on to be president of NBC later on. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes great effect of this show. I don't think you can underestimate its its importance to television. Let me ask you: Was she divorced, or just she she had never been married? She had never been married, and the problem, the reason is because. Uh, she had broken up with a steady boyfriend because I don't think he was thinking about asking her to marry him. But it was not going to be divorced because the CBS executives were concerned that the Dick Van Dyke show had been so popular and she had set, had, had, uh, set an important figure being Laura Petrie on it. They were worried that people would think that uh, Mary Tyler Moore as Laura Petrie had divorced 
Dick Van Dyke, which we were just talking about. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> that didn't happen. So they made her a single woman who had a bad relationship that ended, and she left. And the opening of the show, Tom, shows her driving to Minneapolis in a really nice Mustang. Okay, and you have tied it up in a neat package, Stephen. Thank you for doing the research work and being here tonight. I'm going to call you at home a little bit later. Stephen Kearney has been our guest tonight. We've been talking about the golden age of television sitcoms. The Mary Tyler Moore Show was number one. We'll be back tomorrow night uh, to talk about old-timey drugs and home remedy.